Hi, my name is Susan. I've been arrested 32 times just for listening to people talk with each other. The problem was I used to hide in the bushes outside the windows of people's homes to enjoy listening to strangers talk to each other. It's just something I like to do. I get bored and lonely sometimes, you know. Hey, Susan, don't do all that. There's another way to enjoy random conversations? Now, thanks to the podcast show, I can enjoy listening to conversations with strangers and learn something new every week. No more listening outside the window just to enjoy a good conversation. Tune in weekly on Wednesdays and subscribe for updates on your favorite platform to the Toddcast show and help our podcast family continue to grow and share around the world. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Toddcast show. My name is Todd Mira, your host, and I'm so excited to be here with all of you. The Toddcast show is dedicated to exploring the human condition through conversation with strangers. We explore the positive, interesting, and oftentimes shocking side of human nature. In each episode of the Toddcast show, I talk with strangers in a down-to-earth, old-school, and heartfelt way about their life. Nothing is ever scripted, everything is spontaneous, positive, and we never discuss politics. You won't know what to expect next. Join in the conversation to laugh, love, learn, and grow with others around the planet. Who will I call next? Tune in to find out every Wednesday at midnight Pacific or for playback anytime on your favorite podcast listening platform. And stay connected with us at podcastshow.com. Hello, and thank you for joining us on another episode of the Toddcast Show. Today, we're joined by Susan Gold. How are you doing today, Susan? Hey, I'm Fabo. Todd, how are you? Doing great. Right on. Where are you calling from? I'm in northwest rural Montana. Wow, rural, huh? That sounds like where I used to live, but Montana is much prettier, I think, maybe than Arizona. It's hard to say, is it? Beautiful country out there, huh? I live in heaven on earth right Totally. Now. Yeah. I understand that. Yeah, nature. It's so beautiful. That's awesome. Were you born in Montana or did you end up moving there? Oh, my gosh, Todd. It wasn't even on my bucket list. Excellent. 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 So where were you born? I was born in a teeny tiny town in the center of Pennsylvania and couldn't wait to get to New York City where I did make it and then moved on to LA. And then I think I got reassigned to Montana. <laughs> reassigned, huh? That's amazing. Yeah. And you made it in New York. It instantly reminds me of the Frank Sinatra song, New York, New York, you know, and if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. And you went to the easiest place on earth compared to New York. <laughs> There's nothing. There's, I mean, like the country is such a contrast from the city. So how did that happen? Like, um, maybe we should start at the beginning where, um, were you surrounded by siblings when you were born? Yeah, I was in the middle of, uh, let's see, an older brother, an older sister, and two younger brothers, and mm. two pseudo-adults at the helm doing the absolute best they could, riddled mm. with addiction and mm. mental health issues. Um, mm. It was a challenging environment. 
Wow. And as a child, it was challenging, you say? Yeah, I knew pretty early on. I was in a toxic family circumstance. Yeah, definitely. I was in the playpen way too long. Um, I think it was barely brushing past two. And um, when my mom finally was able to come, she didn't really appreciate my tears. Let's just say that. And I think it was really at that point that I had cognizance. I had recognition. Yeah, this is not a great circumstance. How old were you, you think, when that happened? I was two then. I have another circumstance of four very vividly. And by six, I was in the kitchen by myself, opened one of the cabinets where all the pots and pans and knives were kept. And I pulled one of the carving knives out of the the block, the carving block. And I looked at the blade, Todd, and I thought, wow, if I could just push this through my chest right now, everything would be done and over. Mm. And then I heard my mom thunder from the hallway. I put that knife back really fast and slammed those doors. Damn, it sounds like uh, this should be on an episode of Dexter. (laughs) 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 That's perfect. I mean, it's not, you know, funny, of course, but wow, man. So you're actually pretty heavy. You're what they call an old soul. Like clearly when you were a child thinking at that level, that's something kind of different, isn't it? I definitely came in feeling different. I didn't really, I think I was ambivalent about taking another turn, take another lap. And I think I'll read the fine print a little more closely next time I do. Is there an instruction manual? I'm sorry. I didn't get that. I think we, I think we sign our agreements before we come in. Yeah. 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 That's interesting. And as a child, did you feel like a spiritual being or more of a, you know, normal caught up in the world type? I was highly intuitive. Mm. I was a super empath and I still am. Awesome. And I was quite telepathic, meaning I could feel the resonance Mm -hmm. around, around you and sort of picked up in my own mind. Your dynamic. I got you. Totally. That's amazing. Um, Man, that's really cool. Yeah, as a child to have that type of thing. Were your other siblings a little bit like that or not? Were they all really different? I know you mentioned addiction and some things that weren't great. Um, But were any of them like you or were you kind of like uh, the maverick? I think I may have been the standout. We all have very different experiences growing up in that home. Okay. Um, and I was told that I was the glue that keeps the family together. We still have relationships today, and I'm really proud of that. It's been a long process. Yeah, I can imagine. That's amazing. And are your parents still together? They split up for the first time when I was in tenth, uh, in fifth grade. And then my dad came back when I was in seventh grade until I was in eleventh grade. Wow, that's cool. What a trip. My dad did the same thing. Uh, He left when I was 18 months and came back when I was uh, 11, actually. Um, Wow, that must have been wild after having been sort of on your own with your mom. for. Well, my mom and my... 
I have two older brothers, by the way, um, just, just to round it out for you. And you're uh, like the Brady Bunch. I had two older brothers, and uh, they're seven years apart. So I'm 51, and then the next one's 58, and and the next one is the next up there. So seven years apart between three of us. And uh, to be honest, the older brother was never really around. By the time I was born, he was, you know, getting out of college or whatever. And then uh, the middle brother is the one I grew up with um, until he uh, got someone pregnant in high school and had to move to Texas. <laughs> and that happened when I was 11. So uh, when my my brother, who was my male role model at the time, and I adored him. I thought he was the greatest thing ever. And, uh, you know, he took off. And, I mean, I was crushed, of course, but thank God. My mom tricked my dad into coming back. It was a trick, actually. And um, he uh, he came back. Somehow she found him, and he came back. And uh, just, you know, kind of worked out the way it should. And, and the way she did it is she uh, got a hold of him and told him that um, – that my brother was in trouble with the police department. And uh, so what, what she didn't tell my father at the time was that both of them worked at the police department. <laughs> wow, so that's mom, intriguing. I would say my mom, you know, God rest her, well, God rest her soul. I don't think she's dead yet. Uh, she's dead to me, but um, basically, uh, she, you know, she's still kicking around. Uh, she was great in the beginning, but yeah, she's scandalous. Uh, she knows how to bend the truth. Um, she uh, <laughs> got him to come back, though. <laughs> so he came back and, um, you know, it worked out. Like, she was the bicycle safety lady. So if you can imagine something more ridiculous, you know, she drove around in a police car pulling kids over on their bicycles that didn't have licenses on them in Irvine, California. <laughs> oh my goodness that, that sounds was, a little bit like Irvine that's my mom yeah that was my mom but it was cool you know I mean I got I got to be around cops at an early age and I learned you know to really believe in justice and truth and all that and I got to shoot guns at an early age and learn to be responsible in that way and blah 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 so but yeah 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 so anyway long story short yeah my dad came back and it was a real blessing so um so tell me what happened after that with you. I'm more interested in your dad. Did you like, did you <laughs> identify with him when he came back? Oh, God. So glad you asked. All right. All right. All right. We can do this however you want. This is your episode. So I try to stay within the confines of format, but I have to realize that the best stuff happens in the moment. So, man, take me where you want to go, Susan. <laughs> well, if there's somebody that's going to flip the paradigm on its head... I do the same me. thing. I do it all the time. Yeah, totally. Okay. So here's what actually happened, which was really great. Okay. So I was a hyperactive child labeled with developmental disabilities, um, learning disabled, so to speak. And so I went to a private school um, when I was Were in you medicated? Were you oh, medicated? Yeah. Yeah, ADHD? Me, oh, hell yes. Yes. A oh, lot of that. boy. Yeah. 
big capital letters too it was like written in Mm. the sky it was so big i was a spastic little one enough to make it so i know that i should not make my own children like i was bad enough Mm. to to keep myself from ever wanting to have my own child (laughs) oh that sounds terrible but i I think it's kind of funny um think of all the money i've saved but i probably missed out on a lot of happiness um because of that i was the same i was terrified to have a child and i was told children are the cause of so much pain and agony and don't have children they mess everything up well it depends on how you raise them that's the key um you know and quite frankly uh you know without getting too off track uh i didn't think i was responsible enough to do it properly and i think with the help of somebody like a partner you know a woman <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, let's be careful we're using the word partner these days <laughs> and uh you know a, t- a team effort would do it but i could never imagine being a single parent and if you're going to do something like that you have to always be prepared to go it alone because life happens man and like People die and they leave and all that. So, you know, it's just too big a responsibility. I got a cat instead in college, and that worked out great, actually. Uh, We were together until death did us part. It was the saddest experience I could ever imagine. So um, let's get back to the fun stuff because uh, we've got some heavy stuff ahead. So let's have a little fun first. So when my dad first showed up, I'll never forget the day it happened. And I have a picture around here somewhere of him sitting on the couch. And I came home from school and I was always in trouble getting after school. And the principal would drive me home in his own car. like, And this was like 30 miles away. Costa Mesa. I went to school in Costa Mesa and, you know, lived in this place in Irvine in Woodbridge. And uh, so the principal brought me home a lot because I was always in trouble. And I think secretly they were giving my mom a break. Like it was kind of like a free after school care program for my mom because I was driving her nuts and I can't blame her a bit. Um, So one day my dad's there like sitting on the couch and he was this weird looking guy with a beard and you know, salt and pepper beard. And he had a, a jeans shirt on with flowers on the pockets and all this shit. And he was wearing fucking bell bottom pants, man. And I was like, God damn, who in the hell is this guy? And so I walked past him. I said, hello. And, you know, I went in the other room. I'm like, who's that? I asked my mom and he goes, that's your father. And I was like, what? You know? And so it took a minute, but like, oh yeah, he was great. And I think he's what you call a beatnik, kind of like a Jack Kerouac type, but he was magical and a wonderful man. Like, uh, he's just an amazing guy. So it didn't take too long for us to get connected. My mom would go to sleep. My dad would be sitting around and I would be, you know, all over climbing and running and jumping and doing things. And, you know, it's like being a little bastard you know what i mean just uh he could never get to sleep while i was up as i would constantly demand his attention and for someone like that that was a stretch you know and so i remember it was probably a week or two into his visit and he stayed with us for a while until he got his own apartment nearby um but it wasn't that long one night he said I'll never forget this either. This was a defining moment in our relationship, and it was so perfect, all right? But like he said, son, it was like 11 o'clock at night, and I wouldn't leave him alone. He goes, son, he goes, I'm going outside to smoke a joint right now, and you can come out and join me if you want to, but that's where I'm going. And 
<laughs> got his little bag and went outside and I'm like, are you kidding? This is amazing. And so I ran outside and uh, we smoked that joint and uh, we had like greatest night. We ended up down at the hot tub at like two in the morning and <laughs> the apartment complex and just had the greatest time talking and laughing and getting really connected. And it was, it was awesome. And I'd already been smoking marijuana because the high school kids wanted my Ritalin pills and, uh, I didn't care because I didn't like taking them. So I started trading them for weed when I was 11, um, just months before my father came along. <laughs> so it was actually kind of cool. And, um, you know, I have to say he, uh, he, he, he was really missed. You know, he, he and my grandparents were probably the most missed out of anyone. Uh, but my dad did come along in the right way at the right time to bring, you know, the male element of my you know, my education, so to say, you know, so to speak with parenting, I guess, uh, he brought the male element that was missing and, you know, my mom did her best and God bless her. But like I had a, my oldest brother's gay and honestly, she probably wanted me to be gay because he made a lot of money and somehow or another in her mind, being gay and making a lot of money is a good thing. And that's how everyone should be. <laughs> that's, that's the message I got anyway. So, you know, I needed that male influence and I'm really glad he came along and it's a long, another story after that, but we ended up living together for several years in a couple of different places. And I moved back to Florida with him and he came to California, you know, after he went back and it was really cool. So before he died, we got to spend some quality time together and that was good. You know, um, but he's the happy part of my family story. So I know what you want. I know what you want here, Susan. <laughs> you you want to. Todd, I'm not dragging I, it. I just appreciate where you're you. coming from. So I want to oh. throw this out there because honestly, there might be other people that are thinking about this kind of thing. And that's part of why I want to do this. And also, I'd like a chance to kind of throw some some, uh, you know, something at you that, you know, we could work with. So let me just tell you the situation here. So in my family, you deal with toxic families and you help people to get over the issues that relate to having exposure to toxic family members and people and such. Is that correct? And situations and circumstances. All of the above. Is, yes. Yeah. Okay. The perfect. Above. Perfect. And so my situation is kind of weird. I'm the youngest of three. And I just told you a little bit about how I grew up. You know, my father was not present and my mom did her best and honestly I think she did a really great job especially in the childhood stage like I always ate I was always clothed I was always clean I knew right from wrong I always did right from wrong so you know I have her to thank for that and you know my grandparents of course but um you know, long story short, uh, as short as I can make it, because I want it to be short. I just want to get this over with. Um, so as I grew up, I noticed things were changing and like, you know, not just from childhood to adulthood, but like the dynamics of people around me and my family were changing. You know, some people were dying and passed away. And uh, the, some of the people that were alive, you know, seemed to have secrets and things that, you know, were off limits and I just remember there being a lot of separation in what you were allowed to talk about in a way. And it was kind of weird. So when I got into my thirties, it 
actually ended up manifesting itself in a way that I think might be defined as toxic. It became, you know, sort of like a team thing. And I was all by myself and my two brothers and my mom were on a team and my, my cousin actually, and somebody else, uh, I don't even want to mention her, but it's just a crazy long story. And the family actually divided and it, 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 it became a nightmare when my grandmother died and leading up to it and the unthinkable happened. And I'm just going to tell you what happened in the clearest, cleanest way possible. And you tell me if this is toxic, because honestly, it took a couple of years to even come to grips with the fact that all this even happened. Okay. Like it was tough. And then a couple more years to even think about getting help. And then it's been a long road. And this all happened about 15 years ago, 14 years ago. Yeah. And so uh, my grandmother, I'd always lived around her. Uh, I was in college doing great in the early 90s. And I was going to be a radio broadcaster. And so I was going to school for that. And I got through my associate's degree. And God, unfortunately, took my grandfather right before final exams on uh, in December, you know, whenever it was at the end of the year. And so my grandfather passed away. Well, that left my grandmother being alone for the first time in her 60 something years of marriage they met when she was 17 and they stuck it out and stuck together they were the perfect team it was great my grandparents were a really good team so anyway i was asked to come down and uh take care of my grandmother and be around her in case you know she needed anybody and everybody else you know my brother lived in san francisco my mom lived in san francisco my other brother lived in texas my grandmother lived in san diego and i used to live down there too so I was like, sure, of course. And so I went back down and lived with her for a while and lived around her for 16 years. And I always stayed within a mile of her house. And, uh, you know, it was never farther than a mile. I was always there. And we saw each other every day, pretty much almost. And, you know, talked on the phone a lot and stuff. She was really special. And um, so as she was nearing the end of her life, you know, she couldn't make certain decisions. She wasn't safe in the kitchen anymore more. And uh, it was clear that, you know, it was time for her to go into a rest home. And there was no other way. Like, I couldn't handle it. I was trying to work and things like that. I can't be available to, you know, caretake 24 hours a day as much as I'd like to. So um, I had nothing to do with the decision, but they chose a place nearby. And it was right down the street from my house. And it was perfect. And she was sort of doing better, actually. Um, it was a month she was in there. And, you know, you could see she was kind of bitter sweet about it you know she just lost her freedom and independence but now she's got a safe place with a bunch of other old people and you know i don't think she really liked it to be honest but she was accepting it and it seemed like it was going all right you know from what i could tell and uh so one day my brother my middle brother decided he would come into town and spend a week with her in the old folks home by themselves and uh why i don't know but I remember when he came, I was like, oh, that's great. You know, I can see you and we can visit and all that. He said, no, no, no. I want to be alone with Hattie and, you know, you can visit with her after and like, you know, we'll visit another time. I'm not going anywhere. And all that stuff, you know, and he basically told me to stay away. And I was like, all right, you know, it's like you're a half a mile away from my house. I haven't seen you in years. And, uh, 
you're telling me to stay away. Well, you know, it's like, I don't understand, but I did it and didn't even think anything of it. <clears throat> so he left um, on a Friday or maybe it was a Saturday. You know, he left on a Saturday. But I remember the dynamics of what happened essentially were this, like, there was a person that I was dating at the time that was also taking care of my grandmother and she had been partially responsible for helping with her over several years. And uh, she was a paralegal and uh, she had some experience, you know, with law and all that. And uh, it was becoming clear that my family was uh, behaving in a way that looked uh, nefarious is a good word. And so basically my grandmother finally came to the conclusion that my mom couldn't be trusted. And so she told Rhonda was her name, uh, the girl that I was dating. We were together seven and a half years. That was a great relationship. And we shared taking care of my grandma for uh you know, a good part of that time and everything. But my grandmother asked her to create a real living will and testament. And uh, she said that she told my brother and my mom what she wanted, but she was concerned that they weren't going to do what she asked them to do. And she could tell that the mom was doing things that weren't right. Like, and she was like, things were disappearing before she went in the old folks home for like three months. Uh, I think it was six months. They had this lady that they hired from some terrible company, absolutely horrible company. And they sent a caretaker and it, it turned out that my mom was using her to be a spy and to take things from the house and send them to her. And so that was happening. Like the sword, my grandfather's sword disappeared one day and then uh, a bunch of uh, China disappeared. The cookbook disappeared, like all kinds of shit was disappearing. And the only person that's there is my grandmother and me and this crazy lady that they hired and so I figured out that the lady was taking things from my mom and uh, it's like holy crap and that's part of what led up to my grandmother knowing that she couldn't trust her so uh, Rhonda the same week that my brother was there Rhonda went and got the papers and had what needed to be done and was planning to have an attorney present to help my grandmother fill out her will and testament the following week so that uh, never happened. Um, apparently, she was, uh, it was like around Halloween, this all happened. Because I remember she was at a Halloween party in the old folks' home on a Friday night. And she was having a good time and everything was going great. My brother left on Saturday morning. And uh, Saturday night, my grandmother was admitted into the hospital. And Monday morning, my mother and Rhonda and I had to pull the plug and end her life. And the worst part about it, and uh, one of the things that's uh, really nefarious about all this was I don't, you know, I never had an attachment to my grandmother's possessions or anything like that. But my mom, when she would come to visit, would do something really sick and disturbing that I'll share with you right now. Uh, she would come to my grandmother's house and she would sit on the couch and when I'd try to come and just visit and have a good time, she'd look around and say things like, so what do you want out of all this stuff? And like, uh, you know, what do you want? You know, she's like taking inventory of my grandmother's belongings right in front of her in her own house, talking about, 
you know, what do you want when she dies? And my answer to that was always nothing. I want what someone has to give. I, I'm not, I don't want anything. I just, if, if somebody wants to give something to me, great, but I'm not, you know, taking inventory here. And it really bothered me. And we had a point of contention over it. I tried to set boundaries around it and she didn't allow that. My mom didn't respect my boundaries and that's what led to the end of our relationship. But anyway, I got one more little touch of disaster for you in this like when we pulled the plug and my grandmother flatlined uh we're standing there and my mom and i were standing next to each other on her right side and Rhonda was standing on the left side and my mother without even hesitating and i mean it was instantaneous she literally like sprinted to the other side of the bed and started yanking on the rings on my grandmother's fingers on her dead fingers started yanking on the rings trying to get them off her hand and she couldn't get it off and so like looked at the nurse i you know get these rings off of her finger get me something to get these rings off and the nurse nearly shit her pants and we're all looking at each other Rhonda and i like what in the hell is going on here and we we all knew that those rings were supposed to go to me and it wasn't an issue because I'm not married and I was, you know, not planning on it, but that was the intention is that this, for whatever the reason, you know, my mom blew two marriages and ruined those. So my grandmother felt that she didn't want to give her the rings, but she took them anyway and probably gave them to my brother's kids. That's what she did. Um, but yeah, that was it. And so like when the priest came in and said, Hey, you know, do you need to talk? My mom was like, no. And I'm like, yes. And so, you know, we went in there and talked and everything. And it didn't even occur to me at the time that all this stuff was even happening. It was just like, I was in a fog and it was crazy, man. And I remember riding home with my mom that day and we stopped to have lunch at Denny's and uh, I'll never forget her lack of remorse and she didn't seem to give a shit at all. And all she kept talking about was how she couldn't wait to get some of the things back to her house and, you know, different things that she wanted, she now is going to take. And it, it just really just blew my mind. And then so they disappeared. My brother and my mom did a couple other stupid things over the following days, like that were completely inappropriate and uncalled for. And uh, the one thing they didn't do was they didn't have any type of memorial service. There was no, there was no nothing like zero. And when my grandfather died, we had a big funeral and like everybody came and it was a big deal. When my grandmother died to them, it was like taking out the garbage. And it really, really, really angered me. And so when I figured it out, and it took a long time to come to the realization that my family is evil um, and that they did some things that could never really be forgotten, I've learned to forgive to a certain degree, but what they did is they stole my family from me, man. And they prevented me from having a normal adult experience with my brothers and my mother, all because of greed and narcissistic behavior. And if that isn't toxic, I don't know what is. <laughs> so there you go. What I heard, though, in in your story, in your experience, 
is the beauty of the love that you're able to hold in your heart and the beauty of the family memories that do have poignancy to you. And it is beautiful the way that you were able to experience that relationship that you had with your grandfather. Even my mom. It's just that as they got older, they became different people. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's what happened or if they were always like that. And I just could never see it because I was so naive. But my grandparents were the generation of truth and the generation in my opinion, that represents, you know, living by your values and things like that. And I always thought that my mom and brothers would do the same, but they didn't, you know. What happens if, what happens if you look at this from the point of view of you came in to have this experience, to see this painful dichotomy and to experience creating your own boundaries around it, knowing you're a separate individual with your own experience. And though you wish them no malice, they played their yeah, roles maybe perfectly so. for it's, you to see it's, your capacity. It's such a loss though, you know, and I mean, how could you turn your back on your own family? And, and then, you know, I'm not sure if you caught, you know, the in between the lines part of what I was just telling you, but the, the timing of my brother showing up and disappearing and my grandmother's inevitable death. And then all of a sudden there's a bunch of other things that happened that I can't say. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's really hard to imagine like the coincidence of all this stuff. Just, you know, I, I, I don't know, man, like, I just don't know. Like, I feel like there needs to be justice, you know, of some sort. That's part of the problem, you know, and I don't mean justice Mm. like I'm going to go and do anything. I mean, like, there needs to be a real, you know, litigator that looks into this and finds out if what they did was indeed, you know, what I think it was. You know what I mean? Like, that's all. It's you can't let people just skate, you know, if they do terrible things, they're supposed to get in trouble, you know, and that's the hardest part. You know, I was raised to believe that. And so when your own family that taught you those values turns their, you know, thinking inside out and doesn't represent those values, it just, I don't know, it makes me want to exercise them that much more. <laughs> I don't know if that's healthy or not. <laughs> but to me, I think that on a, this isn't really over yet. So this is a, a, a long, crazy process. But at some point, I'm going to settle it with a little bit of money and the right person looking into it. And that's all I really want. And if I can get that, I think that would be great. And if it leads somewhere, great. And if it doesn't, I'm happy to close it out. So, you know, it's just uh, not knowing is the toughest thing, you know what I mean? And it's bad enough to screw someone over like a friend, but like your own flesh and blood, you know, it's like that's the stuff that sticks with me. And I appreciate you pulling out the sunshine from this rainy story. But, you know, it's like, I mean, in all reality, it's that's not the part that I lean on. I lean on the part that I can't resolve, you know, and like, so I want to figure out how to get rid of that shit and clear out my mind and completely reprogram my executive brain functioning around positive things instead of having it always end up including the negative. You know what I'm saying? 
Well, I don't think you'd be a human being if if you d- didn't have the capacity to yeah. feel the dark side yeah. or the negative. But I, from my own experience, I know that, how do I share this? I was 24. I was in New York City living alone. I had just gotten sober. I was just out of an abusive relationship where the gentleman held the purse strings. I was working for a large global talent agency and training people, exercise training on the side. And as I grew up, I watched Barbara Walters on my belly in my basement. (laughs) And I said, I want to go to New York City and I want to be like Barbara Walters. And I went to New York City and I wasn't like Barbara Walters, although I did eventually work in television, but um, I was her personal trainer. And one morning at 7 a.m., I I rang her doorbell and she said, Susan, get in here. What is going on? And she was a good interviewer for a reason. She was highly intuitive. And she got it out of me in 30 seconds. I'd been sexually harassed in the workplace the day before. And she said, I'm coming to work with you this morning. Barbara Walters did that with you? Gentlemen together. And that's amazing. I said, Yeah. I said, thank you so much. I I got it, Barbara. I'll I'll take care of it. I went in, I confronted him and he promptly fired me. And it was his word against mine. And I could have tried to bring a lawsuit up, but that would have involved tons of money and time and me being locked in that rage of injustice. And Barbara ultimately had an offer for an assistantship for me. And I said, yeah, no, I can't be an assistant anymore after this experience. And I decided to open my own talent brokerage firm and became known for matching celebrities to brands. But I was able to do that because I decided that it was more important for me to move forward and to focus on what I could do positively in, in the present. And that shifted me in huge ways. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't pursue and you shouldn't find justice, but I, but I know for myself, I came in with a storyline and a trajectory and I needed to face it and move through it to become, to come to a place where I could be Mm. of authentic service to others. And I understand that rage and I understand that anger and that injustice. And yes, it's, it's quite heinous and, and quite alarming of the timing of the visits and what happened. Yeah. And there's more, there's quite a bit more, but I'm trying to be careful here. So, you know, I don't want to go there, but yeah, you know enough to understand the gist of it, but there's plenty more. Like it's crazy. And I just can't understand it to be honest. And uh, I'm not sure if it's possible. And I just kind of want to know, like, is it, is it possible for me to be able to completely let this go? Like, is that even possible? I, I definitely, I definitely know from personal experience and I, I had an, an experience that seemed so unjust whenever I relay it, people like gasp 
but I, I walked through it. I did not engage the way most would. Mm-hmm. And as a result, I am thriving and so much goodness came into my life and continues to come in my life. And I'm living in a new zip code because I stepped out of that patriarchal matrix that was holding me hostage. And it's not the easier, softer way. And it's, I don't even think it's the way we've been trained. Yeah, but it is that's, possible. That's it is so funny. Possible. Yeah, you moved to a zip code of peace and tranquility. I moved to one where more stuff is going on because I was bored and in the nature. You know, <laughs> that's funny. We're different that way. But like, eventually, I think I'd like to go back to nature. But you know, I moved to the city because I got tired of being around such a lack of diversity, and you know, there was not as many people and all that. So harder to make relationships and things like that, you know? Um, but I guess it's different in different places, you know? I think it's just also what I choose to focus on because I am entitled to still be enraged Mm. and angry right? and bringing one to justice who did me wrong Mm -hmm. but by choosing not to and every time i chose not to it has brought me to a much better life yeah one that i didn't didn't even think was possible totally agree karma i call that karma you know (laughs) that's what that is because like it is like that and i i've always been the same way and there's plenty of times that i could have and maybe should have done certain things to certain people but i let it go and i found out later on that something even worse happened to them all by itself it's like there you go yeah there you go yeah there you go you know yeah and i can feel it your grandma's happy she's got no need for you to avenge her her being none she's released she's happy and she Uh, wants just that authentic happiness for you and if you grab onto this with two hands and two legs and shake you're gonna be stuck holding the wrong tree yeah yeah no you're right you're right You're right. So what's the better way to look at this, you know, rather than see it the way that I've described it, it just focus on the love. Like, how do you, how do you get that negative part out of your thinking altogether? Yeah. So I didn't understand it until I had done a lot of work and I'm talking about decades of work, but what I truly believe now and makes sense is this earth is a complete schoolroom, and it may be the straight up ghetto of the entire solar system, the way that we treat each other and the, you know, abominable behaviors and hatred and murders and violence that goes on here. But I believe that I came in to have a certain experience to walk through certain life experiences for the opportunity to evolve as a soul. And I, I see those challenging circumstances and I see that injustice 
And I see those individuals that were my perpetrators, my predators, as all perfect players in my movie. And they've created incredible opportunity for me to view it from a different perspective. And now I can help other people do the same. And it's not the traditional viewpoint. I mean, writing a book called Toxic Family, which was not my title, by the way. It's my genius mm. publisher's title. <laughs> That's <laughs> but cool. But to write, write a book like that and to talk about such a taboo subject, you know, I'm definitely coming from a different place and it's an important conversation to have. Oh, yeah. And no, I'm glad we're doing this, actually. I'm getting something out of it already. But um, what I'm wondering, though, is uh, do a lot of people struggle with this kind of stuff? Or is it? Oh, just my a, gosh. I, you feel so alone sometimes when you're the victim in a certain situation. It's uh, hard to identify, you know, what what's that look like? Well, I'm not saying that you're, you haven't experienced the role of victimhood in this circumstance. And I'm not saying that you're not continuing to experience that role, but I think there's a role underneath that victim. I think there's value underneath that cloak of victim. Mm -hmm. That's the real truth. Yeah. And as a human being that that's tough because we've been structured in different directions. I mean, when I was seven, my sister and I were playing little kittles on a trunk. There were three votive candles lit. And I took her little kittle and she said, give it back. And I said, no. And she said, give me it back. And I said, no. And she took my forehead and she pushed it back and my hair caught on fire. Oh, shit. And she said, Oh my gosh, your hair's on fire. And I started to do what they do. They teach in school, you know, stop, <laughs> stop drop, and drop, and roll. roll. Yes, on, the, on the yellow shag rug, you know, I'm rolling the top of my head. That was a spiritual initiation. <laughs> that was a signal that in adulthood, I was going to light people's hair on fire with the way that I chose to perceive things. There's wow. no way. I should be walking this earth. And if you could see me, I'm smiling authentically. It used to be a plastic saran wrap smile. Yeah. Now it comes from my heart that's been detoxed. I've had layer after layer of duct tape and mud and tar and sticky tape peeled off of it in a positive way where I can feel authentic compassion, not you, just, not just you, for your, your grandma, but also mm -hmm. for your mother and your brothers to have to live in that kind of insanity suit. That's yeah. painful. It's, it's tough, man. Like I, I reached out to my brother a couple, it was like a year, maybe a year ago, a little longer than that. Uh, somewhere within a year and I, it was around the holidays. I was really depressed and I called him crying and I was, I haven't talked to him in years and I'm like, Hey, would you talk to me? And he said, yes. And so I just said, Hey, I would love if you wouldn't mind just to 
talk with me a little bit and give me some advice. You know, I'm struggling with, you know, depression and some issues. And, you know, I just wanted to talk to you. And like the conversation was short and he said, I want to think about this and get back to you. And so he did. And he sent me an email like in a day or two that said, I will not help you. And, and he listed every possible way he could conceivably help me. And he said, I will not help you in any of these ways. And he completely cut me off. And that was the end of it. No more. You know. Todd, be grateful that you don't have to go to the hardware store for a jug of milk <laughs> anymore. What? Yeah. He what just, he gave, he gave you a gift. You reached out with an open heart and he told you who he was. His heart is Oh, I see. Oh. You were going to the hardware store for the jug of milk. Got it. Like an idiot. Yeah, never go to a Chinese restaurant for a hamburger. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a good one, too. It sure yeah. is. Okay. No, you're right. And, and honestly, um, I guess in my heart of hearts, I, I kind of understand the distinction between you know i think i just got what your message was is that you know i am a person that chooses to live by a certain set of values and i found that you know maybe some other people didn't choose to live by the same set of values and so we learned that we're different and i should be happy to not have to be burdened with them anymore right well i don't i don't know that you should should yourself because that's shame but oh. <laughs> yeah, it's another layer, layer of shame, but yeah, there's ego involved. We want everybody to be the same. So we're safe, right? If, mm -hmm. if you believe the same as I, then I'm mm -hmm. safe. So I think you're just, you're in the hallway and you're, you're going to step up onto a platform. That's a much different frequency and vibration, yeah. but it's pain. It's painful to be in that hallway. Yeah, I feel you. And you're right. I'm getting there. It's it's getting better. I can honestly say like there was a time I couldn't even talk about it without becoming enraged and yeah. literally out of control emotions. But that's all yeah. a thing of the past. So, you know, and I have therapy and medication to thank for that, quite frankly. Um, you know, without those two things, I'm not even sure if I'd be here right now. You know, mm. there's, there's no way to know, you know, and I'm glad I didn't find out because I got to the place in my life where I couldn't go any farther. And I just knew I wasn't doing things the right way by myself. I needed help. And since I didn't have family to turn to, I had to find a therapist, you know. Um, but it was the best thing I ever did. And, and actually, we should talk more about that now. <laughs> like I told you, the time goes by a little too fast, but we're getting we're getting there. And um, I want to talk about how you help people in general. I appreciate you kind of shedding some light on my personal story, uh, which is great. And I like to share and I want people to know because I'm an authentic person and I believe in authenticity. I think it's sexy in different ways and also very important. And it's 
it's uh, better than a being a lying bastard. So, <laughs> you know, that's always nice. But I, I definitely want to know more about how it is that someone listening can get value by connecting with Susan Gold. And what is it that we can do to help people today that might be in a place that they're struggling with a toxic family? And of course, we want them to buy your book. But um, how can people working with Susan Gold gain progress and overcome challenges? Well, there's a, there's a bunch of exercises in the appendix. It's a workbook and they're exercises that have helped me and they still help me today. And I just want to do something experiential now with you and with your audience to take okay. us off that wheel that we were just on where the central nervous system is a bit on overdrive. So just take a, a breath with me. Deep breath and Todd, either your right or your left hand, doesn't matter which one, put it on your solar plexus, which is just at the top of your rid cage below your heart and mm -hmm. take another breath in and then either silently to yourself or out loud if you feel moved say i am okay 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 I am okay. And it's a really simple tool, but significant tool. Cool. And it brings us right back into the body. And it's a great tool for self-soothing. Uh, it reminds me, thinking about my mom, there was a book on the shelf as a child. I always remember, uh, for some reason, I remember weird things from my childhood. But like, I remember a book called I'm Okay, You're Okay. <laughs> oh, my gosh. We had that book in our house, too. Yeah, totally. That was a good one. Yeah, I never really read it, I don't think. Um, but yeah, that was one of those titles that stood out and always thought about it in some weird way. I should have probably read the darn thing. <laughs> Oh, but that's okay. So, you know, um, what kinds of uh, things would you like to share today that we didn't get to? We had kind of a different interaction than I normally do, but I, I want to make sure that anything in your heart or on your mind that is important to share with people gets out. And I'd like you to have that platform here. And so I just wonder what, what's, uh, what, what's on your mind or heart that you might like to share right about now. Well, Todd, only if your listeners feel motivated or drawn, you'll know. You'll feel that little intuitive nudge inside. You can go to susangold.us, and that's where everything is. Oh, susangold.us? Yeah. Mm -hmm. How cool. Wow, you're a brave soul doing something other than a .com domain name. <laughs> I, like uh. the, I like the community aspect of dot. I saw it as us. Totally. The US, Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. And it's funny because I always think of it the other way, .us, but you're exactly right. That's exactly right. I love that. I think join.me was one of the first ones that I remember being that way where it was like, oh, that makes perfect sense. Join.me. And, you know, sure enough, it works, you know, and you can <laughs> connect with other people's computers using that, you know. Um, I'm old school, though. Like you got it in the beginning. You know, I said groovy. I gave away my age, but uh, I'm still like, if I'm going to register a domain name and it can't be a .com, I shouldn't get it. You know, that's always how my mind works. 
much. But I'm going to try to embrace your paradigm, actually, and expand my thinking and get creative, you know, because there are a lot of extensions. Like, it's ridiculous. I don't know, like, if you've seen how many there are, but man, what a racket that must be. Somebody's cleaning up on the other end of that. (laughs) (laughs) I liked it when it was just .com and .net. It was like, oh, and you know, then there was .org. Wow. (laughs) You know, but now it's (laughs) .xxx and .it. Every country has its own. (laughs) It's a trippy world we live in, man. I hope it all slows down. Do you think it will? You think the world's going to slow down to a reasonable pace or are we just going to like burn up like a motor with the pedal floored i have so much hope and i have so much of a bright outlook because i do feel we are going to shift higher in our frequency and in our vibration and in our understanding of our humanity which is so exquisite And yes, I think we will definitely slow down or perhaps we'll be slowed down, but I think it will be all for such positive reward. And, you know, I know this might seem a little off base, but I I am just kind of curious, you know, some people talk about things, but they don't really understand it, you know, and there's a lot of people who say certain things, but they really don't mean it you know and so like i wonder sometimes about those people and some of them that you know might be thinking that they're loving but they're really engaged in hate you know they might think that they're healthy but they're really you know tainting their own you know, creating their own toxicity through thoughts and affecting their health and with different behaviors or thoughts or whatever. And I just wonder about that distinction between two different types of people, the ones who really do walk the walk and talk the talk and the ones who just kind of put on a show. How do you think those people are going to be divided? Or do you think that there'll be an empowering and enlightenment? How do we, how do you look at that? You know, who's to know, but what I do know is I'm grateful that I don't <laughs> inhabit those bodies. I got that you. would be hell on earth. And I just have so much gratitude that I've chosen the path to walk that I have because there have been choices, there have been options and I've always tried to bring love. Yeah. Forward. Totally beautiful. Yeah, I love that. I've noticed that about you. You're very, you know, grounded in that warm, fuzzy, lovey type thing you can hear in your voice, you know. Um, So it must be a joy to work with you. (laughs) Get to listen to this. I'd pay just to listen. (laughs) Maybe you should should sing or something and (laughs) record an album. Uh, You know, just so people can hear it more. Uh, But that's a good thing. And so if you were talking to somebody that was struggling in some way and they just didn't know what to do, what would you say to somebody that is out there listening that might be dealing with some toxic dynamics? And, you know, they're just maybe buying time, thinking it'll get better. They think they can fix it. You know, they think they can fix the person. What would you say to somebody that is in that situation and doesn't know there might be an alternative? 
You can't fix it. You can't control it. And you cannot cure it. You need to be kind to you. Mm-hmm. Take a breath and find someone safe to speak with and to connect with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a big part of it is talking about it, right? Because a lot of times when we hide this stuff, it further enables bad things to happen, right? Well, Todd, I'm going to share with you something. It was important for me to do a lot of talk and a lot of talk therapy initially. But ultimately, what really shifted me on a cellular level, maybe the neural pathways shifted Mm -hmm. in my brain. And that was doing somatic work. That was going, going into my body and exploring the pockets of trauma that I was holding and Mm. seeing the color and the texture. And was it present? Was it past or was it ancient? Is it, is it in my ancestry ancestry? Is it in my bloodline? Am I carrying it? And then exploring that and really letting those emotions and memories and belief systems see the light of day. And I'd replace it with gold light. And that really shifted me into a new arena. That's what's really changed me. Interesting. Huh. I haven't heard anything like that in a while. My dad always used to tell me, don't worry, son. I've wrapped you in white light. You'll be safe. (laughs) That was his thing. (laughs) He always talked about how he'd wrap me in white light whenever I would go away or whatever. Maybe he did. I don't know. But like... You know, I always made it back safely. So, you know, that's there you go. There may have been something to that. Maybe. And you talked about vibrations and energy and frequency and stuff like that. Um, I don't know if people even realize it, but sometimes like the simple things like can really lower our frequency and vibration. Right. And it's important to keep a positive you know, keep a positive flow of things to keep your vibration high for all kinds of reasons. Wouldn't you agree? Well, I, I don't know that we have to walk around going, hmm, is my well, not, right? not like a bipolar <laughs> person, but you know, I, I, yeah. I, I try, I try when I recognize I'm in fear, Okay. which is often, it's often mm-hmm. when I'm in fear, I take an inventory And then I see if I can shift up and out of it once I recognize where it's coming from. And that can, that can be just an internal inventory. It can be taking a walk. It can be watching, you know, the wind blow on the prairie out here. It doesn't take much. No. Yeah. That sounds beautiful, man. I love it. Yeah, you're going to make me want to look up Montana. I just love it. It reminds me of the Old West. Arizona was a lot like that. But there's just something about Montana that just says country. Like, I think I'd have to have a pickup truck if I lived there. Uh, (laughs) Most people do. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, then I'll fit right in. That'll be great. My flannel shirt, cowboy hat. I'm going to get me some boots. You know, but uh, one thing at a time. (laughs) You're doing awesome, Todd. Thank you for this conversation. Oh, no, thank you. This didn't go in the direction I had uh, intended, but I'm really glad it did what it did. And I hope somebody listening can get something out of my experience. And, you know, for me, this is not just mental and emotional masturbation. It's uh, really meant to hopefully 
help people recognize they're not alone because I felt completely alone. And, you know, there's nothing worse than that. And so if we expose some of these things that we don't often talk about, sometimes it can help others and recognizing that they're not alone. And sometimes that's what people need to take that next step and to remember, you know, to love themselves. And that's part of it, you know, of course, at the foundation, as you had mentioned, but, um, you know, to love other people, we first have to learn to love ourselves. And it's good to know how we get through all these crazy challenges of this weird world. And, um, you know, I wish we had more time. We should do another episode that's a little more on focus with um, maybe something related to your subject matter of, of work instead of my story. But I like the idea of exploring past lives and things. I did past life regression uh, a couple of times and had a pretty monumental experience with that, actually, um, that I'll share with you another time. But, yeah, yeah it's not limited to just here and now and today like uh, people might not think as much about the reality that we might not understand reality at all <laughs> you know there might be a lot more to it than meets the eye so it's good to be you know to be thinking in the right way and it sounds like you're definitely somebody that can help people figure that out well, it's been a pleasure to connect with you and certainly with your audience. And I'm just really grateful for this experience. It's been a breath of fresh air for me, Todd. Thank you. Me too. I love that. Thank you, Susan. Boy, that made me feel great. And remind people how they can find you. It's susangold.us, right? That's it. Yeah. Awesome. I love that, Susan. That's, that's great. You gave me a whole new way to look at domain names. What a strange aspect of your counseling service. Yeah. What did you get out of it? You know, well, I'm going to choose my domain names differently. Well, how does that relate to toxic behavior? <laughs> it doesn't. Perfectly. It relates perfectly. You're having yes, fun. Does. Yeah, God bless you. And I really appreciate that you are so kind and gentle and you really do have a spirit and an air about you of peace and tranquility. And I just want to compliment you because I can feel it and I like it. And it was nice to share with you because it felt a little bit like therapy. You know, I got it took a while to get comfortable with my therapist, but you were able to connect and provide a sense of comfort immediately. And I really appreciate that. So I just want to thank you personally for that part. I really appreciate that. I love walking this planet with you, Todd. You're awesome. Right on. Right on. Thank you so much. Susan Gold, definitely check her out. Go and visit her website. Better yet, get the book. It's Toxic Family, did you say? Toxic Family, Transforming Childhood Trauma into Adult Freedom. Absolutely. And that's what caught my eye. God bless you. I might need to buy that book and read it myself. You should have told me. He said, Todd, you're going to buy my book this afternoon and read it and get back to me in a month. <laughs> but I appreciate that you didn't do that. But if I do indeed follow through and do that, I will actually want to do that with you. And uh, maybe we could have another conversation after I read your book. I really look forward to it. Okay, Todd, I'll be looking out for you. Right on. That sounds great. And thanks again. Have a wonderful night. Okay, you too. Bye now. Bye. 
Thank you for tuning in to the Toddcast Show. If you found today's episode helpful and meaningful, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on what's next. Remember that the Toddcast Show is all about community and connection. So follow the podcast on your preferred social platform to keep updated on everything I've got in store. Also check out ToddCastShow.com to find out more and stay connected with me, Todd Nira. Be sure to tell your friends and family about the Toddcast Show so the podcast family can continue to grow and share on an international level. See you over on the next episode. Hi, I'm Todd Mira, host of the Toddcast Show, and I want to share something personal with you today. Throughout my own life, I've struggled with issues I didn't even realize I had. Things like depression, past trauma, PTSD, and feeling disconnected from the people I loved the most. It took me hitting rock bottom to realize I couldn't fix myself alone. I needed help to unravel the tangled knots within my life, find myself again, and become stronger in the areas I was weakest. It wasn't an overnight transformation, but with time, I learned to change my thinking, my attitudes, and my entire paradigm for the better. I learned that it's good to ask for help, and that's why I want to tell you about our sponsor, BetterHelp. Thank you to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode of the Toddcast Show. BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy service, and the best part, it's 100% online. You can participate from anywhere, anytime that works for you. It's simple to get started. Simply answer a few questions about your specific needs and personal preferences in therapy, and BetterHelp will match you with the perfect therapist from their network. It's really that easy. You can message your therapist anytime you need support and schedule a live session when it's convenient for you. BetterHelp is committed to ensuring that you find the perfect match to guide you along your journey to well-being. As someone who went through therapy and came out way ahead of where I started, I want to invite you to take this step to a healthier, happier you today. My life was transformed through therapy, and yours can be too. With BetterHelp, you get the same professionalism and quality you'd expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is hand-picked for you, all at a shockingly affordable price. And as a special offer for our listeners, you'll get 10% off your first month by using the special link, betterhelp.com forward slash Toddcast. That's betterhelp.com forward slash Toddcast. You don't have to face life's challenges alone. BetterHelp is here to support you through the big and small issues of your life in a way that can really make a huge difference, both short and long term. Take the first step towards a healthier, happier you. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash Toddcast to get started today.